you have your Bibles, Hosea chapter 5, verses 8 through 15, would you please stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Hosea chapter 5 and verse 8 reads this way, Blow the ram's horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud at Beth-Avon, Look behind you, O Benjamin, Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel I will make known what is sure. The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precepts. Therefore, I will be to Ephraim like a moth and to the house of Judah like rottenness. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Jerob. Yet he cannot cure you nor heal you of your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear them and go away and will take them away and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. Father, I pray this morning, God, that you continue what you have started here. God, you know I never want to get in your way, Lord. Just let you be God. This is your church, your people, Father, your day, Father. We've come together because of you and for you, Father, not the other way around. God, this morning, I pray, God, that you'd move in our midst. And God, I pray, Father, that first and foremost, if there be anybody here this morning, God, that needs to repent and be saved, that today would be the day they would do that. God, I pray that You'd encourage the saint, Father, and God, that You'd remind us of some landmarks, God, that are very important in our life that You have established for us to keep us safe. God, I pray that You'd anoint me to preach this morning in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Have Your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach to you this morning on the thought, those who remove a landmark. Those who remove a landmark. In Hosea chapter 5, God is rebuking His people. He's telling them that judgment will come because they have followed human precepts and not the commands of God. But something this morning that was interesting to me as I was reading through this passage is God said that you have become like those who remove a landmark. What is a landmark and why would it be removed? Why would God liken these people who were about to be destroyed because of their sins? Why would He liken them unto those who remove a landmark? I want to preach to you this morning on that thought. Landmarks are something that are given by God. Matter of fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, before God's people had ever actually passed into the promised land and had taken possession of that land of Canaan, before they ever got there, God told them that when you get in that land, do not remove the landmarks. God had told them that there would come a time when they would possess the land of Canaan and that tribes would each own certain parts of the land and that within those tribes, that people and families would own smaller parts of land and that the land would be marked by land marks. And he told them, do not remove the landmarks. You see, what people would do is they would come in and 
They would wait till it was nighttime, until everybody was asleep, and they would take the landmark and they would move it to either steal more land or to take land away from somebody else. And this thing could go on for years, especially if tribes owned thousands and thousands of square miles of land. This process could go on for years and nobody would ever really know that there was land being taken away. This morning I want you to know that the landmarks are put in place to define what God has given to God's people. And there are some landmarks this morning I want to preach on. I could preach all day on hundreds of landmarks. But there's a few landmarks I want to preach on this morning that God has given to us. Just like He gave the people the land of Canaan and marked it by markers, there are some landmarks that we as the children of God must learn to grab hold of and say enough is enough. I'm not letting this thing be moved any further. I'm putting it back where God said it ought to be. I'm going to live in the land God told me to live in. I'm going to stay out of the land God told me to stay out of. And I'm going to possess what God told me to possess. What are some of the landmarks that we as God's people, the church that Jason was teaching about during Sunday school, what are some of the landmarks that we need to hold fast to? The first one I want to talk about this morning is the landmark of family. The landmark of family. Family was the first institution that God ever made between people. The only relationship that man ever knew before his relationship with his wife, the family, the only relationship he ever knew was his relationship with God. Can I tell you this morning that when we lose sight of the sacredness of the family and we quit fighting for our families and we quit holding fast to God's given directions and God's divine plan for the family, the church goes out the door with it. One of the reasons so many of our young people are leaving the church when they're 18, I don't remember the statistics, but I know it's overwhelming, is because they may have been dragged to church every week of their life, but the other six days they watched mom and dad fight and live not a single word of what they said they believed. People aren't fighting for their families anymore. Husbands aren't loving their wives. Wives aren't being submissive to their husbands. Children are disobedient to parents. And the family gets torn apart. We live in a throwaway culture where nothing's worth fighting for anymore. Your boss does your own, quit. Our grandparents used to work at the same place from the time they pretty much got out of school till the time they retired and they put up with junk every single year like we do, but they retired proud because they weren't quitters. We are one of the most quitting societies that's ever existed. People don't even get married anymore. They just live together for several years. Give it a whirl. See if it works. Get married and you don't like it, just quit. And we're not fighting for the family anymore. Listen to me, sir. Your family is worth fighting for. God has given you your family. And I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings this morning, but I'm preaching to you the truth. We need to hear this. Our culture has begun to infiltrate the way we think. And even in the house of God, amongst God's people, marriage is no longer this sacred institution that is held up as this holy thing that God Himself created. But it is exactly that. Men, do you love your wives as Christ loved the church? 
and gave himself up for it? I said this several weeks ago. I can't remember what the lesson was. I know it was a Wednesday night, but I made this statement. Sir, you better remember that your wife is God's daughter before she's your wife. You better watch the way you talk to her. And you better watch the way you treat her. She's God's daughter before she's ever your wife. You think boys will answer to you for your daughters. Those of you that have them. How much more do we men answer to God for the way we treat His? The landmark's been removed. There's no sacredness anymore in the marriage. But I'm telling you, as the church... Guys, God has handed us, I'm getting ahead of myself, one of my points is the Bible. God has handed us the Word of God. We are the entity, the living, breathing body by which God Himself is chosen to make known to the world the way that it ought to be. And we need to unashamedly stand and proclaim it. Concerning the truth of God's Word, it's not a democracy. It's not what do we think and what do they think and let's take all the religions and put them together and try to find a good way to live. God's Word is truth. It is the only way. He has taught us the way we must stand on it and believe it and be willing to fight for it. One of the landmarks that we cannot remove is the sanctity of the family. If you're married, this morning, listen to me, if you are married, other than your relationship with God, there's not a thing in your life that's worth fighting for more than your marriage. And the devil will fight you every step of the way. He wants your marriage destroyed. I'm just kind of going different directions this morning. The devil wants to destroy your marriage. You see, if he can destroy the marriage, every, I'm telling you, when the family breaks down, everything else breaks down with it. I can get up here and preach my heart out and tell your children to repent of their sins and tell your children to love God and tell your children to read their Bibles. But if they see you live a different life six days out of the week, what you teach them is what they will learn. Train up a child in the way of the Lord and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Not... Send them to your pastor for two hours a week and let him hear a message. That's part of it. You ought to be here. I believe you ought to be in the house of God as much as God will allow you to be. But you have to train up your children. The devil wants to destroy your home. He wants to get in between husbands and wives so that you just do this all the time. But the marriage is worth fighting for. I'm going to move. The second landmark this morning. God's given to us the task of winning souls. I want you to think about something for a moment. God has chosen us. The, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. The foolishness of preaching. How many of you would like a title that God calls foolishness? It's what I've been called to do. Get up here and be a fool in front of you every day of my life. God help me to do it. The task of winning souls. When it's all said and done, where are you going to be a hundred years from now? I want you to think about everybody that you know in a personal way, in a, in a, in a, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a family, whether it be friends, whether it be work, or just people that you know, that you could name by name when you saw their face. Where will all of them be a hundred years from now? 
We have been handed the most important task in the history of the world, the church of the living God, that is spreading the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ has paved the way for salvation and that through Him and through Him alone, through the shed blood of Calvary's cross that He sang about earlier this morning, that through Him and through Him alone there is life and there is salvation and there is a forgiveness of sins. We alone have been handed that task. There's not another entity in the world that can do that. Can I say, with that said, God help us to not get diverted from the task at hand. Oh my, we can get our eyes on so much else. The devil will try to get in, get us to turn inward on each other, get us to have problems with this sister, problems with that brother, problems with the way that this is done, problems with the way they mow the grass, not grow this way or that way, or problems with the way they paint or whatever it may be. And all of a sudden we're looking at stuff that has nothing to do with eternity. It doesn't matter. We've turned inward. I'm telling you, there's a fight by the devil of hell. He has unleashed all the demons that he can on the church of the living God to stop the work of preaching the gospel and winning souls for Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. I want you to see something about the Gospel. It is linked to two things. The power of God and salvation. If what we're doing is not accompanied by the power of God and the salvation of sinners, then it is not the Gospel. It is that simple. God's Word is living and powerful. It does not change. It endures forever. The grass fades away and our life is but a vapor. But the Word of God endures forever. It is all-powerful. It is unchanging. It can and does and will give life. And when we preach the Gospel and get the Gospel out and live the Gospel as the church, it will be accompanied by the power of God and the salvation of sinners. It is that simple. We don't need to divert down this way and, and try the latest fad. We don't need to divert down that way. Try the latest fad. We just need to hold fast to the Gospel. We have been handed the task of winning souls. I was thinking about this sermon yesterday as I was walking and praying. And Mark Cahill has a book called The One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. You know what you can't do in heaven? Win souls. You will never lead a sinner to Christ in heaven. It'll done be finished. Brothers and sisters, we have to invest ourselves in winning souls. I'm going to be quick. We've got to be willing to give to the work of God so that the work of God can go on financially. We've got to be willing to give of our time and our talents. We've got to be willing to give of ourselves. And by that I mean become selfless and not afraid of looking stupid. What are you going to do if you're going to send them to hell number two? I mean, it's amazing how many of us are afraid to share the gospel because we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to offend somebody. We need to learn how to do it in the love of God. We need to learn how to show the love of God through us. And it should come through us when we're trying to win sinners. But brothers and sisters, every one of us have a role to play. I give an invitation every Sunday morning. We've seen people saved here at these altars. And I thank God for the old-fashioned altar. We've seen people saved at them. But that's not the only place you can get saved. 
I would probably venture to say the major majority of those who are truly born again probably weren't saved at an old-fashioned altar. And we've kind of got it mixed up where the idea of getting people saved means you, you get into church and you let them hear a pastor preach and the invitation comes and they come down and somebody comes and prays with them and they're saved. Hey, God can hear you in your closet. God can hear you in your car. God can hear you on your knees beside your bed at night. God can hear you standing right there on the side of the road with somebody. If He's dealing with their heart, pray with them. God has handed us the task of winning souls. Listen, I believe in humanitarian aid. James said, how can you call your, your, your faith of any good if it has no works? And, and he even mentions uh, helping those that are in need. How can you say that you love God, that your faith is a real faith? If somebody needs help and you don't help them, you send them down the way. I believe it's humanitarian aid. But it's real easy for us to move the landmark of taking the responsibility on our shoulders to preach the gospel and win souls by keeping ourselves busy with all sorts of other stuff. Are you working to win souls this morning? The landmarks. We see the landmark of the family. The landmark of winning souls. Thirdly, this morning, the landmark of the Bible. God has given us the Bible. Without the Word of God, we have nothing, folks. Our entire faith hinges upon the fact that this is true. And God has given it to us. We need to know it. We need to stand for it. We need to believe it. We need to teach it. Another landmark is a landmark of separation. This morning in Sunday school, Jason mentioned that the word church actually means called out ones. That's not the only place in the Word of God that you find the idea of the church being separate. Be holy as I am holy, the Lord says. That word holy, it means other than. It means different from anything else. There's nothing to compare it to. What do you compare God to? Everything you could think of to compare God to, He created. That's no comparison at all. He's holy. There's none like Him. He is perfectly pure. He is always righteous and, and, and His judgments are perfect. Yet He's full of mercy and grace. What He does, He does perfectly. And at the cross, we see the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God in full display. While at the same time, we see the judgment of God and the fury of God poured out on the same day, in the same moment, at the same time. Who could do that but God? He's holy. He's other than. He's different than every other thing this world's ever known. He's the Creator of it. Now here's what He said. Be holy as I am holy. That's what God said. That's your command. That's not a suggestion. That's not a passing thought. That is the command of the living God. Now this idea of come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. It is a principle that in a lot of ways we have abandoned as a church. The landmark has been moved. We ought to be in the world, but not of the world. 
That means we live here, but we're just passing through. I'm a citizen of a heavenly country. This is not my home. Now, let me ask you this morning. Can your neighbors and your family and the people in your life tell that this is not your home? Can they tell that in your mind and in your heart you have settled it once and for all? You're not going to stay here long and you're storing up treasure somewhere else. Come out from among them and be separate. Can I ask a simple question? What power does our message have if we're not different? What does it have? The very fact that we are a peculiar people, the Bible calls us, should be peculiar, different, other than. Strange is a word that can be translated peculiar. Tells us that we should live in a way, behave in a way, think certain thoughts, talk in a certain way, live and walk a certain way that the world around us can look at us and look on us and say there's something different about these people. But we have moved the landmark. Because there's a... I hope I can explain what I'm trying to say here. There's this... When, when we begin to feel like, hey, we're not winning any souls, when we begin to feel like the church is stagnant and, and something needs to happen, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll try to force something to happen that's not really God at all. All for the purpose of getting more numbers to create the illusion that the church is growing. If we add 40 sinners in here this morning and none of them care about God and none of them want to repent and none of them ever turn their heart to God, the church hasn't grown at all. The seats are more full, but the church is not this building and the number of people here this morning doesn't define the church. The church are those who have been born again by the incorruptible seed, the power of the Holy Ghost, regenerated by placing their faith in Jesus Christ and born again once and for all into the kingdom of the living God. That is what makes up the church. And we have moved the landmark of separation all under the banner of being loving and and, and not being judgmental. If you lie through your teeth, I don't have to be judgmental in calling you a liar. You've proven who you are. I just have enough courage to say so. If you're having sex outside of marriage, I don't have to be judgmental to tell you you are a fornicator guilty before God. Your actions prove it. I'm just having enough courage enough to say the truth. And somehow being willing to call sin, sin, fornication, fornication, homosexuality, homosexuality, lying, lying, stealing, stealing, somehow not being, uh, saying those things has been pushed on us as being judgmental. Well, you take it up with God. That's how God calls it. That's what God says it is. That's what the Bible calls it. If you don't like it, take it up with Him. I'm just telling you what it says. My job is not to make people feel happy. It's not to make people feel good. My job is to preach the Word of God. And if it makes you happy, great. If it makes you feel good, great. If it convicts you, then it convicts you. Repent of your sins. My job is to preach the truth. And our job, church, is to preach the Gospel and let the chips fall where they fall. The truth is what sets us free. How many of you would be saved this morning if you were never confronted with your sins? None. None. 
We need to be a separate people. Not a holier than thou people. You, you can take what I'm saying and twist it if you want and leave and, and say that. But that's not what I'm saying. And anybody who knows me well knows that. Not a holier than thou. Not a nose up in the air. We're better than you. You've got to become like us to, to hang out with us. But an honest, authentic love for God that is proven by the way that we live. And we shouldn't be ashamed of it. I don't have to look like everybody else and be like everybody else and dress like everybody else so that everybody else will think I'm cool. And then once they think I'm cool, then maybe they'll hear my message. And then I can bring them in and tell them that Jesus is just like all of us. And then six, seven, eight, nine months later, then I'll try to convince them that really what I meant was they needed to repent and get saved. And then they leave the church and we wonder why 90% of the people in our day and our culture who make a profession of faith leave the doors a year later. Just... Tell her how it is. Separation. You've got to come out from among them. Young people. I don't normally ask and I don't have my watch. What time is it? I do need to know or I wouldn't ask. 11.40. Talk about separation. Young people, we live in a world of filth. And the world's been filled with filth for a long time. It was filthy when I was a child. It was filthy when I was a teen. It was filthy when your parents were teens. But you've got to know this. Either you serve God or you don't. There is no in-between. There is no riding the fence. Either you love Him and you follow Him and you do your best to keep His commandments or you don't. It is one or the other. And you cannot live in both worlds. You cannot watch filth with your eyes and partake of lustful things and entice yourself into sin and spend yourself and your life and your time around God-hating friends who have no respect for the Word of God. You cannot do that and expect God to bless your life. You've got to be separate. And until you learn that God is enough, you won't trust what I just told you. I used to be extremely popular. And I'm just telling the truth. I did. In high school. I was friends with everybody. Not a person in the world I couldn't be friends with. Most of you know my testimony. I was a partier. And when I got saved, everything changed. For four years, all I had known was partying, doing what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted, as much as I wanted. That's all I knew for four years. And when I got saved, immediately that changed. I remember the first time, I, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't have any Christian friends. I didn't have anybody to hang out with. I didn't. It's Friday night, Saturday night. Andrea, who's my at that time was my girlfriend, my wife now, she was working at nights. Um, car hopping, I believe, at Sonic or something. And I remember the first time ever after I was saved, I was like, you know, I'm just going to go to a party. I don't, I'm tired of doing nothing. And so the whole way I was driving to this place, inside my stomach, it was turning over. And confusion was gripping me because I'm thinking to myself, these are the, the only people you've known for four years. You know, just go. Just hang out. And... I got there, and I remember driving down the driveway. It's a little ways. 
And I parked and I got out and I went and I stood in the middle of this party. And I was so confused in my head because everything inside me said, just get away from here. You better learn to listen to the voice of God. You turn it off long enough and you say nay to it long enough, you'll eventually quit hearing it. And this is the truth. I'll bet I stood there for 30 seconds and I thought it's going to look absolutely nutty to everybody here, but I'm leaving. I didn't say hi to a single person. I was terrified. And you have to know me. I mean, my world was upside down. That was not me. I was terrified. And I just left, drove away. I remember driving away thinking, what in the world has happened to me? What's wrong with me? Well, there was a reason that I was going out. To tell you the truth, I didn't want my parents to think I was depressed. Because we were having that argument. They were telling me I was just depressed and the church was destroying me and killing me and that all of a sudden I wasn't the same person I used to be. And I was sick of hearing that. And I had nowhere to go. So you know what I did? I took my car and I drove it deep, deep, deep back up into a, a field. So deep that nobody driving by would be able to see me because I still had too much pride for Joplin Emerson to be seen all by himself, sitting by himself in the middle of a field. I'm talking to you about separation. And I sat there and I'd listen to the Bible. I'd listen to the Christian radio a little bit. I'd read my Bible. I'd try to pass time. And then about 11 o'clock or midnight, I'd go home. I'd do it again the next day. This went on for several weeks. There came a time when I was sitting in this field, probably about 10 o'clock at night, and I was just bored. All by myself. And this thought occurred to me. You have given up everything you've built in the last four years. You gave your heart to God, and now you have no friends, nowhere to go, nothing to do, and you sit like a loser by yourself in the middle of this field. That thought came to me. You see, the devil will tempt you to go back. And this thought occurred to me. All that is true. This is true. I have no friends. I'm all by myself, bored in a field. And I did just recently give my heart to God. And I sit here all by myself like a loser. This, that thought occurred to me. All that's true. But... I've got more peace and more joy and more happiness sitting here in this field by myself than I've ever had when you take everything in the last four years combined and put it together. That thought occurred to me, sitting there. And I just started to praise God. And I said out loud with my mouth, God, if I have to sit in a field by myself for the next 40 years and never have a single friend, I would rather have what I have in You than to have everything this world has to offer. I'm telling you, there's a time and place when we've got to make up our mind. I will be separate from this world. The world will stain you. The devil, he's out to kill, steal, and destroy
We've got to be willing to be separated. I've got eight points this morning. I'm going to preach one on the landmarks. And I'll be done. The last thing that I want you to think about this morning about removing the landmarks, personal landmarks. Personal landmarks. And I want to be cautious not to name those personal landmarks this morning, but in Romans chapter 14, we see the idea of personal convictions. And why God does what God... I'll never understand how God works. His ways are higher than our ways. Some of the landmarks in my life that God has said, Son, this rock has to stay here. Don't cross this line. He hasn't placed in other people's. Some of the landmarks that He's placed in other people's lives where they've told me this is a big conviction of theirs. God has dealt with them. Don't go. Don't do. Don't don't cross that line. God's never placed in my life. But this morning, I want to tell you something. The landmarks are moved slowly. You don't just wake up one day on your front porch and all of a sudden the landmark's sitting in the middle of your front yard. It happens a little bit at a time. That's what's happened in the church. It happens a little bit at a time. We get desensitized to sin. Desensitized to what is right and what is wrong. And the lines get blurred. And when the lines get blurred, what happens is the devil moves things a little bit closer until we can see clearly it's wrong. And we say, stop, it stops there. And that process continues to happen. What are the personal landmarks in your life that God Himself placed there? But as time has gone on, maybe somebody has done you wrong. Maybe somebody has hurt your feelings. Maybe you've had a, a, a difficult time at your job and finances didn't work the way they should work. Maybe somebody in your life that you're close to has died and you don't understand why. Maybe you've been hurt and your world's been turned upside down. And in the midst of all that, when you begin to question what is right and what is wrong, and you begin to question whether or not God loved you and whether or not God was for you and whether or not God was with you, you begin to allow the landmarks to be moved. Listen, guys, the landmarks God placed there to keep us safe. You might not understand all of God's commands and all of God's laws, but He places them because He loves us and He wants to keep us safe. What are the landmarks in your life? God said, either stay here or don't go there. But if you're honest this morning, the landmark's been moved. Some of them are good landmarks, like time spent with God, prayer, daily devotion, doing the things God's called us to do. To him that knoweth to do good, and does it not to him it's sin, the Bible says in James. What are the good landmarks that you've allowed to be encroached upon? And now you have less of that land. And what are maybe the landmarks that mark bad territory? God said, don't go there. Don't watch that thing. You watch those types of films, and for the next two weeks, you fight lust. Quit it. Well, it's not sin. To him that knoweth to do good and does not, it is. You you, You let God deal with your own heart. 
lest we be guilty of becoming like those who move the landmark. Tell you what I will do. Because I don't feel like I'm done preaching. I'll preach the next seven points in ten minutes. God help me not to make a liar out of myself this morning. What are those like then? I've talked about landmarks. That's point number one. I will move quickly. What are those like though who remove the landmarks? Notice in verse 11, speaking of the king, because he willingly walked by human precepts. Once you understand, we do it by our own will. Nobody forces you to get drunk, sir. Nobody forces you to treat your wife wrong. Nobody forces you to treat your husband wrong. Nobody forces you to move the landmarks. We do it willingly. By our own choice. We're living in an era where everything is a disease. I'm not going to argue with you about whether or not it's a disease or not, but I will tell you the Word of God says that Jesus heals all our diseases. And sin is sin, period. Whether it's labeled a disease or not. They willingly walk by human precepts. Notice what happens. I'm done with that point. See, we're moving good. Notice what happens next. Therefore, I will be to Ephraim like a moth and to the house of Judah like rottenness. You see, God allows things to happen in our life. He can take off the, the, the hand of protection and all of a sudden our world falls apart. I've seen it happen over and over again. But I want you to see something about the moving of the landmarks. I told you that it's gradual. I told you that it happens slowly. So does the destruction of the moth and rottenness. It is silent destruction. If you've ever had a moth destroy a, a, something that was in your... Uh, Closet. You know that all of a sudden it was just done. It was silence. And while the process was slow, it didn't just fly through there and all of a sudden bust holes through your clothes. The process was slow. The process took place over a significant period of time. You were unwilling of it. Unknowing of it. The same is true of rottenness. That term deals with sickness from the inside. This is what happens when we remove the landmarks. This is what happens when we abandon holiness and abandon the commands of God and refuse to obey the commands of God and do it in our own way and willingly walk by human precepts. This is what happens. Rottenness and moth-eaten. It's the truth. You've got to trust God. And flee from sin. You've got to be honest with yourself this morning. Have you removed the landmarks? Is your life being eaten up like moth and rottenness? Notice finally in verse 13, when Ephraim saw he was sick, and Judah saw his wound, there did come a time when they realized, we're sick. There did come a time when all of a sudden they acknowledge that things have gone wrong. And notice where they turn. Then Ephraim sent to Assyria and sent to King Jerob. Young people, if there's anything you hear this morning, listen to me clearly. This world will destroy you, it will stain your soul, and it will impart sickness into your heart. But it cannot heal you. They turned to the king. 
They had forgotten the ways of God. They had taken on the ways of the world. They had allowed the landmarks to be removed. And when all of a sudden sickness came and the penalties and the consequences of their actions began to heap upon their head, they turned to the very people that actually caused them to be sick and they found out there's no healing there. This world cannot heal you. Relationships cannot heal you. A boyfriend cannot give you significance and meaning and hope. A girlfriend cannot add to your life purpose. Money and wealth cannot give you security. Nor can it buy you salvation. They turn to the world. Either they had forgotten, or in their pride they were too prideful to admit that they had lost focus and that the landmarks had been removed. This morning I pray that to God that won't be you. Finally this morning, in verse 15, I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. You don't have to turn there. But listen to what Psalm 119 says, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And then in verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. They will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. Can I tell you, sometimes God has to pull the rug out from underneath our feet before we earnestly seek Him. But God knows how to do what only God can. God knows when it's time to, to, to bring the affliction and to wound us so that we realize we have turned away from God. We have left the precepts of God. We have walked in our own ways. We have walked according to our own understanding. And we have not trusted God. He has a way of afflicting us so that we'll seek Him wholeheartedly. Thank God that He afflicted me. Thank God for that day in my life when I was so wounded that I finally realized nobody can help me. Only God, if there be a God. God's purpose in afflicting us is that we might turn to Him. This morning, maybe you feel afflicted as they bring a song. Maybe you feel afflicted. God just wants you to seek Him wholeheartedly. I preached about some of the landmarks of the church. But what are your personal landmarks? Young people, we, because we're curious, we'll run out as far as we can to the landmark. Sometimes we'll even stamp up on top of it so that we can see the other side without anything in, in, in our view. Listen to me this morning. Run away from that place. Don't live your life on the borders. 
don't live your life as close to the edge as you can, hoping that you don't fall off. You see the devil's appealing. He's enticing. He'll make the grass greener. The people smiles bigger. And it'll entice you to just keep coming and just keep coming and just keep coming until finally you're so far in you realize it's not what you thought it was. This isn't what it looked like. Before you know it, you're lost. You don't even know how to get back. You don't even know where the markers are. This morning, I just want to encourage you. Get as far deep into the the land of God as you can. Don't test the markers. Don't allow the markers to be moved. Father, I pray that you'd move all across this room in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you'd still hearts right now in Jesus' name. God, that you'd arrest hearts. God, as people are in a battle. God, you're even dealing with hearts this morning. God, people are trying to fight it off. Just get through the service. Just get out the doors and act like everything's okay and not deal with their sin. God, I pray right now, God, that you'd break through that heart. God, that you'd warn us of the dangers of going where you've told us not to go and doing what you've told us not to do this morning. Have your way. Have mercy on me, oh God. According to your steadfast love, sin has raised its head once again, and I did not stand in the power that you've given, creating me a clean heart, O oh God. Spirit within me, for you alone can fully redeem. You alone can lift me up from the grave. This is my broken spirit. This is my con. Give you 
be replaced. All he asks is for you to meet him in this place. This is my broken spirit. This is my contrite heart. And this is all my shame being poured out before the cross. This is where mercy abounds. This is where I am set free. This is where forgiveness is poured out on me. This miracle called Calvary. This is where His love goes beyond the choice. Every one of my mistakes, where brokenness meets healing and guilt is overwhelmed by the truth that God's love can reach beyond where I can fail. This is my broken spirit, this is my contrite heart. This is all my shame being poured out before the cross. This is where mercy abounds. This is where I am set free. This is where forgiveness is poured out on me. This miracle called Calvary. This miracle called Calvary.